Welcome to season two of Deep Dive, and where better to start than at the top? Thomas Reiser has been the executive director of the International Society on Thrombosis and Hemostasis for 10 years. But when it comes to planning meetings, the last year has been the most challenging yet. Thomas, welcome to Deep Dive. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Jen. Our paths occasionally occasionally cross. And I was thinking, I think the last time we saw each other was at the ECA Congress in Houston in um, yeah. 2019. Um, mm-hmm. That was just before the world changed um, and everything was turned upside down. How has the last 18 months uh, been for you? Um, yeah, indeed, it was uh, it was Houston in 2019. Um, uh, and, and certainly the world has changed since then. Um, I would say it, it, it's been exciting, uh, but also uh, challenging. Uh, obviously, so much has changed and, uh, and, and our lives have been affected in so many different ways. Um, but look, that's, that's life. That's, uh, that's how things are. And you can either go with the flow and make the best out of it. Or, or you don't. And uh, as one of our board members who's from Italy says, uh, if, if you're being given lemons, make limoncello out of it. And uh, so <laughs> we're, trying to make, we're, we're trying to make limoncello. Yeah, that sounds like a, a good philosophy. So 2000, let's go back to the beginning of 2020. You were planning to have your annual congress in Milan yeah. that year. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I assume you went virtual, did you, like everybody else? Uh, yes, that's correct. We were set to have a very large, very successful conference in Milan. Abstracts were rolling in, registrations were rolling in, uh, corporate support for the meeting was, was uh, very, very strong. Um, lots was going on scientifically. And, uh, and then, in, um, as you may remember, Europe, uh, actually the Milan area, was one of the first really, really heavily hit by COVID. And, and yeah. our board members very early already said, guys this this is not not looking good and so we really pivoted pretty quickly uh and and had the full support of our board to to make everything virtual um uh, i wouldn't say we were one of the first i also wouldn't say that we were one one of the ones who had a a minimum amount of time because we still had several months but um it was still overall very rapid uh uh, to make the change but you know we, we did it um I would say quite successfully um, last year, we uh, decided to actually, I think like many organizations did, uh, to uh, make it free to attend as a support to the community and, uh, and had, I think, 18,000 registrants and ultimately 12,000 participants, which is, which is a, about a third higher than we would have at a, at a normal conference. Right, right. So you're getting 6,000 extra delegates. Where are they coming from? Uh, they were really coming from around the world. We, as, as you know, we are an international organization. We always have uh, way over 100 countries represented in our in our conferences, and uh, it was just a, a, a broader reach into the countries. Uh, we are actually mm-hmm. doing some very interesting analysis now to understand uh, what has happened to those people that came to the meeting last year that had never been to an ISTH meeting before. Are they going to stay with us? Uh, how many are going to stay with us? Uh, we have some initial data uh, for this year, um, but then we will also also obviously track this for the future. It gave us uh, obviously a lot more context that we can talk to, and apparently they've had interest in in our mm. meeting, um, but would normally not travel to a conference like ours. So 
Um, I think early indications uh, indicate that or are that we have about 15% of the people that that attended last year for the first time have also attended and paid at our meeting this year, which was also virtual. Um, and uh, so we have about a 15% um, um, rate of, of return here. Right. Okay. This is, that's interesting. So this year, what what happened? You were supposed to be meeting in in Philadelphia. Uh, was that did did you attempt hybrid or was that virtual as well? Yeah, we were we were essentially planning from the beginning a, a, a hybrid a version, um, and it became actually fairly. I mean, I think look, every one of us, I, I, I think, was very hopeful that by the summer of two thousand twenty-one, things would be. Um, much more back to normal, uh, but it became pretty clear over the over the uh, the winter months, the winter in the northern hemisphere, that uh, that was not going to be the case. So in uh, I think in February we ultimately pulled the plug again and said, okay, it's going to be virtual to just give the the community the certainty of what's going to happen, and, um, and 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 plugged plugged along. We made some some changes to our program, um, so we we adapted that a little bit more. Uh, last year was we we trunked, truncated our 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 content significantly last year just to be able to even do something uh, virtually. This year it was a more extended program, but we had already started planning to uh, started to plan um, for the eventuality of of, of virtual. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, not to say that it wasn't it wasn't again challenging. Um, to a certain mm. degree, it became even more challenging because. Last year, I don't know that that our audience expected very much. They were just happy that something still happened uh, and it happened online. Mm. And now I think the expectations are are increasing, which is which is completely mm. understandable and, and right. But um, it's also uh, we also see some some I think fatigue uh, in the virtual offerings uh, across the board. So yeah, interesting interesting times, and you you don't really know exactly what you have to plan for. No. No, you don't. Which brings us on to obviously your next event in London, which is set yep. for twenty twenty two. I'm guessing you're planning for an in person event, are you? Or, or, or again, is that is that too much of a question mark at this stage? Look, I, I honestly think that hybrid, whatever they, that means, because I think this is still kind of uh, starting to sort itself out, um, is is here to stay. And and we talked about this. Uh, years ago, right? I mean, uh, most yeah. organizations started to record their their um, their uh, event and their content and and started to live stream. So, I mean, that that has been around for a while, uh, but now this mm. is a must, and it will will continue to be this this way. So, I, I can say we are uh, planning for a hopefully strong in person component, but um, all the digital elements are 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 being planned at the same time um because yeah. it it will be at at the best case it, at best case scenario it will be a, a very nice extension of the meeting and a nice complementary mm -hmm. component of the meeting a uh, worst case scenario it's going to be again uh, fully virtual so as far as you're concerned all the learnings you took you've taken from the last 18 months in terms of hosting an event virtually that's not going to go to waste you're going to incorporate mm -hmm. that Going forward, as part of a kind of what, a permanent hybrid model, now do you th do you do you foresee? Yes, uh, absolutely. Uh, I, I, as I said, I think what's still happening is is that what hybrid really means and how that really looks like is is, is crystallizing uh, itself. Mm. Uh, and I think it will de it depends on uh, also technology solutions because one thing that we've certainly learned there are certain things that work very well in the digital world and there are other things that don't really work very well in the digital world. 
Um, and uh, part of that is is the, the technology solutions that are available right now. It's it's people are not are or are not used to doing certain things online when they mm. might have been uh, used to do it in person. Um, and uh, so I think this is going to evolve. I, I, James, you probably know this very well from from discussions last year. I mean, you heard everything from oh we're going to go back to everything's going to be normal to other people saying oh everything is going to change and everything is going to be. Mm. Uh, different and and I think it's we're somewhere in the middle, right? We are feeling our mm. way through the changes, uh, and and it's more of an evolution than a revolution. And I think that's probably very logical. Um, yeah, and and every, also so much depends. A bit of a different uh, uh, organization. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, sorry for interrupting. What I was going to say is that so much depends on the association and the association's objectives. Then uh, the membership and the size of the association when people talk about hybrid i think a lot of people envisage some kind of quite complex high-tech um, studio setup but for a small association convening about 250 people 300 people it needn't be so complex it could just be streaming a few sessions so i think this kind of obsession with with labeling everything is is not not very helpful would you agree I would agree, and you're absolutely right. Every organization is in a different space. Uh, every industry may be different. Uh, some some are very digitally uh, savvy and 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 have done this for a long time and and want to do this. Others are, are much more. Hey, we we gotta come together. We do something something very uh, tactile uh, that's important for their industry or their profession. Um, so everybody's gonna have to feel its way through this. And and I completely agree with you that the hybrid. Uh, aspect this this whole idea of everything merges together and everybody has the same experience whether it's digital or, or physical I, I really don't think that's that's um, reasonable to assume I think what's going to happen is is certain content and programmatic areas are going to be primarily digital that can also be consumed uh, potentially in a viewing uh, a room on site and others are going to be much more okay this is just going to happen in person and uh, mm. uh, it, it's just a matter of of communicating that and, and managing expectations and uh, being clear about that. Yeah, yeah. So, were there aspects of your virtual uh, congresses which you thought, "Hey, this just isn't working online." Let's, you know, we, we've tried to we've tried to replicate something from an in person context that, that just isn't working. Well, we we haven't even attempted social events. Uh, that, that, but. <laughs> um, the, the the whole networking as the whole networking aspect at least for us uh, has not worked yet and and the the more informal get-togethers and 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 exchanges we haven't been able to replicate that so the other things to be honest have actually been quite good in terms of uh, just the the general sharing of knowledge that that part is pretty good like the the, the one way sharing of knowledge um, the other thing that uh, I'm I see really as a challenge is uh, at least for us what's been a big part of the the meeting is the um, industry exhibition where our pharmaceutical and diagnostic partners are, are showcasing the products and and solutions and so on and that's been very difficult the other thing that I have to say for us as an international organization that is a challenge is time zones uh, obviously Basically, you're in one place, you do everything at the same time. But uh, you know, the Australians are certainly not happy if they would have to get up uh, at, at midnight to watch a session live. Um, mm. It's just not going to work very well. No. Are you, this might be a difficult question to answer, but are you expecting in-person delegate numbers to, to recover to, to pre-COVID levels? Or do you think 
do you think we've sort of reached a they reached a peak before before COVID nineteen struck and 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 they're sort of going to be lower permanently now? Um, I, I guess to a certain degree that depends on really what happens with the continuing development of the virus and and whether we get this under control or not. I actually I would think reasonably. We're going to see a huge spike initially. There's huge pent up demand, in my opinion, of people wanting to get back together. They see the value of the, of the networking. Um, and I think the, the keystone events in certain industries or sectors, I think they will do well. Where I think it's going to be more challenging is if it is a Me Too event. Uh, uh, that in the past, maybe people were just like, oh, I go to there and there because it was a nice yeah. venue or city. I think they're going to have a harder time. There's there's much more of a, a consciousness on do I really have to travel? Um, uh, why do I do this? But we as as meetings and as, as organizations also need to evolve our our formats to be um, to be more more uh, to to be taking advantage of really the time together and and re- and really show the ROI and the value even more strongly of the physical get together and and benefiting from that. Yeah, th- th- there are various things converging on on international con- conferences, aren't there? With COVID nineteen being one, but also uh, sustainability, climate change, various net zero goals that uh, various organisations have set. So I think that need to to show why why are we getting on an airplane, why are we meeting in person, why is it important is is going to be paramount going forward. Some. Uh, talking yeah. about the sort of uncertainty of the virus, some associations are now mandating. Proof of vaccination as an entry requirement for events. Um, others are sort of asking people to wear masks, etc. What, what's your take on that? What's your take on proof of vaccination, for example? Is it something you, you've considered or or might consider for 2022? So it's it's certainly becoming a topic uh, of discussion here again. As an international organization, we're dealing with a lot of different uh, uh, different uh, health systems, and how do you show pr- uh, proof? We're going to go into this whole discussion about do you have booster shots and things like that. So I think this is still going to work itself out. Um, To be honest, I don't know. Uh, Certainly the health uh, mitigation or the the virus mitigation uh, protocols and so on will probably be around for a while, whether it's masks or or testing, uh, whether whether you're contagious or not or have the virus. Uh, I think we're going to be facing that in in London and we're going to start planning for that. whether we're going to require proof of vaccination. I mean, there's also legal and other aspects that have to be considered. Um, but on the other hand, we are a scientific medical organization. So um, is, mm-hmm. there, is there also a, um, uh, a role for us to, to really be a leader in, in, in this area? Yeah. And frankly, I would How... expect that most of our healthcare professionals have to, have to be vaccinated anyway. <laughs> sure, sure. I, I, think, I think healthcare associations maybe have this easier than uh, than trade associations has has your um attitude to risk changed in the last 18 months um thinking in terms of no, no one saw covid-19 coming or at least at least no one uh the, the, how serious it would be people had predicted pandemics uh, f- for a while but even when it came i think a lot of governments were caught caught on the hop um does this change anything in terms of long-term planning? You, you obviously, like a lot of uh, associations, plan your major congresses, for example, some years in advance. How, have, how has it changed your thinking in terms, of, in terms of risk, do you think? So, very good question. First of all, uh, we have to be cognizant 
of the fact that uh, we had very close calls in the past already with MERS, SARS, bird flu, never really developed, thankfully, to the pandem pandemic level that COVID did ultimately, but the warning signs were there. Um, it is a huge challenge, obviously, to plan further and further in advance, uh, not knowing how the world will develop. And it's not just uh, pandemics, it's climate change, it is political environments, uh, uh, whatever. Um, I think many organizations, ours included, uh, really have to look at uh, whether how, how dependent we are on the on the conferences to a fulfill our mission, but also um, the sustainability economically of our organization. Um, we have, we've certainly started to do that. Uh, many organ many other organizations are doing the same. Um, and uh, and then I think it is also that you're going to start looking more and more at what venues, what host destinations are the ones where you know you can really run a professional meeting, where you have a, a solid infrastructure that are attractive, the business climate is there. So again, that, that you have the, the things that you don't want to worry about, that you don't have to worry about, and then you can really uh, put your full focus on, on, on the things that are a, a little bit more challenging. But if you, and I know this sounds very basic, and James, you know this very well, but if you have to worry about uh, um, whether the taxis run on time in a, in a city or whether they have strikes all the time, you know, you don't need that on top of everything else. No, no, that's interesting. Um, uh, one theory I, I've heard is that maybe this is going to benefit the major meeting hubs, um, the ones that are really well established, simply because associations want to minimize uh, or, or any organization simply wants to minimize their risk uh, going forward. Has this is a question that I wanted to ask you. Has finding appropriate event insurance been a, been a problem? Has, 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 that, has that now changed? Is there, a, is there such thing as a pandemic clause or is all this sort of, uh, you know, worked out with your lawyers? Yes, actually, a big, big challenge. And it's not just insurance. It's also contracts in general, whether it's just venues or hotels. Uh, I mean, obviously, definitions are changing. Uh, uh, you know, uh, deadlines and terms uh, and conditions are changing. Um, so all of that is up and uh, up um, for a new approach, really, and, and you see that. And we understand. I actually was super impressed with how uh, accommodating and collaborative uh, the, the, the meetings industry has been, at least with us, but I also know with many other organizations last year and also this year. Um, but obviously, that, that can't last forever. Um, but insurance, I mean, try to do a cyber insurance these days, and you basically just want to pull your hair out uh, because you basically have to have a PhD in, in, in you know, computer mm. technology to answer only half of their questions. And then you can still not insure everything that you need. On top, you have obviously the physical uh, insurance uh, aspect. So it has become a much more expensive, obviously, and b the exclusions are just out the roof from, from what we see right now. You talked about risk management. I mean, in the past, you took insurance as a risk management tool, and now you more or less, I wouldn't say you have to completely self-insure, but you have to, uh, you, you cannot just count on everything being covered by insurance. No, no. It's no longer a, a box-ticking exercise. It, it, it's something a bit, a bit more than that. Now, I know Much ISTH... More. Yeah, ISTH takes diversity, equity, and inclusion very seriously. Did yes. the shift to virtual last year make you 
reassess how people access your meetings and your and your wider content. Um, I'm thinking of maybe uh, uh, connectivity in certain parts of the world, but also in terms of the expense of, of traveling. So it kind of it kind of works both ways, doesn't it? Yeah, you're absolutely correct. And uh, we, are, to be honest, we're still analyzing the data. One of the big things with uh, diversity and inclusion is obviously being able to have the data to analyze it, and you know who is mm. it, where are they from, all this kind of stuff, to really understand some some changes, some patterns. Um, and we are actually investing quite a bit in this. Um, but it's this is not something that happens from one day to the next. And we had started that process actually uh, quite quite a bit before. Uh, before COVID, but of mm. course, it, it it all these matters that you just indicated, uh, the ability to travel, the cost of travel, uh, accessibility via internet, and so on, are 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 all a part of it. But interestingly, we also saw we had a significant shift from normally we are about fifty-five to sixty percent male attendance to female attendance. Um, this has switched actually during COVID. Um, in the virtual world, we actually have a higher number of females that, that attend the conference. Um, right. Why they would normally not come physically to the Congress, I mean, you can just uh, assume certain things, um, but uh, that was really startling. And then when we talked earlier about the registration numbers, particularly for the Congress, that was free of charge. Why we, we picked up a few additional countries that we normally would not have at a physical meeting, we saw we got obviously much higher numbers from some countries where travel uh, across the world would be probably prohibitively expensive. And that, that is a very strong indicator, right? Yeah. This is, so this is something that a lot of associations, having convened virtually last year, are going to have to work out, isn't it? How do we ensure we don't just lose all these extra delegates, um, because presumably they, they help enrich the conversation, they help enrich the spread of knowledge. Um, but at the same time, associations have, have business models and, you know, they need to charge for their congresses. Mm -hmm. So, it, mm -hmm. yeah, it's a tricky one, isn't it? It is and it is not. Uh, look, if you add to the registration fee, travel, accommodation, food and beverage, you name it, um, of course, it might become unreasonably uh, expensive. Uh, for some for some to attend um, if you can consume it uh, virtually at least at least part of the the content uh, that's great we've also started before covid uh, and and we'll uh, make this even stronger after covid uh, with highlights uh, uh, highlights of isth in different parts of the world ideally in collaboration with local societies so we're benefiting each other we're still bringing content to the community uh, we're, we're making it actually more applicable to that community based on their their healthcare settings and, and situations um, all of that had started before COVID. I think COVID just accelerated it. So this is your 10th uh, year, I think, at the International Society on Thrombosis and <laughs> Hemostasis. Um, you must have seen a lot of change, yeah. a lot of change in the last 10 years. But what permanent changes to your organization have been brought about by, by the pandemic, do you think? Um, many positive things, as a matter of fact. I think it has shown, I don't know how much you followed this, but... Uh, um, very particular to our organization, thrombosis was pretty quickly uh, um, understood to be a, a significant uh, um, problem associated with COVID. But then also, uh, you obviously remember the issues of, of blood clots and the vaccines. So our organization was thrown in the spotlight like almost never before. And, and um, we were actually very well prepared to do that. Um, of course, we've also seen that um, uh, there's always more capacity that you ideally have that you're 
prepared. We, met, we talked about risk management that that you can you can do this uh, potentially a little bit more uh, proactively. Uh, so these are great opportunities. Um, I, for our organization, like many others, uh, we've very quickly understood, of course, well, you can actually do certain things uh, in a remote world uh, that maybe in the in the past we just didn't uh, necessarily embrace as quickly and as as enthusiastically as we um, as we should have. Um, one other thing I think very strongly, and, and I can recommend this only to all organizations. Uh, what has shown what what this situation has shown that we've had very very good board staff relations uh, that really allowed us mm. to act very quickly in a in a trustful way. Um, we didn't have to fight uh, left and right and, and 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 so on. So that that is super important. Um, and we are very fortunate to have a, to have a wonderful staff who who have been um, bending over backwards to make this all work and and under very difficult circumstances professionally and personally. So. Uh, the other thing I think important is that every organization really should have a strategic plan. They may not look like they used to look, uh, but if you have some guardrails that you can touch on that 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 indicate your core um, mission and 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 objectives, uh, that helps because otherwise you can very quickly like, oh my God, where are we going? This is breaking down. That is breaking down. Um, uh, yeah. Very interesting. The financial aspects are huge. Uh, we talked about this before, and and we started this before the pandemic of diversification of revenue and and how you actually fulfill your mission. Um, all of these things have changed. Uh, they may come back slightly uh, to some more of a, what we would call normal, but but don't see this. And it should honestly, it shouldn't return to what it was pre pre COVID. No, no. I think that's uh, that's sound advice. That uh, this sort of temptation to think of. What came before as some kind of ideal is a is probably misleading. Now, I, I, I ask guests, or I've started to ask guests a little bit about their uh, reading habits. <laughs> um, so I just wondered if if you've read a book over the last eighteen months that that you can recommend to to our listeners. Um, great question. I I'm, I'm a, a kind of a funny reader. I, I read everything from fiction to nonfiction to documentaries, biographies, whatever, uh, depending on my mood. Uh, I, I try to, as a matter of fact, distract myself a little bit from the reality that, that we've just had for the last 18 months mm. of a lot of uh, uh, fiction uh, and just to kind of get away from it all and, and, and not be too serious about things. But one book that I found really uh, great to read uh, was called, is called Super Life, uh, and it's by an author called Darren Olean, and he's kind of a, a mm -hmm. superfood expert uh, who is also... Um, uh, doing a lot of travel to understand how some of these more um, uh, uh, natural uh, uh, fruits and 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 um, nutritional aspects have developed in different parts of the world, from the rainforests to Iceland or, or somewhere else. And he talks about the life forces that just keep us uh, healthy, fit, uh, uh, free of illness, and uh, very interesting book. Uh, I think something that. All of us, particularly in a time where resilience is is hugely important, that your mental and your physical uh, state is is critically important to to overcome particularly challenging situations like now. And um, so, a very interesting book. Um, yeah, I can I can only recommend it. Recommend that. So, give us a title again. It's Super Life. Super by... Life. Super Life by Darren Olean. Darren Olean. Right. Great. Yep. Okay. So, what, what's next for you? 
Thomas, you've just enjoyed a holiday in Europe. I guess you're going back to the States soon. Yeah, I, I finally, after 20 months, had uh, had the opportunity to go back home to Austria. I spent time with the family uh, and um, and also enjoyed some some hiking in the mountains. And uh, again, this is this is uh, a, a huge treat to get away from it all and enjoy nature and and family. Um, uh, heading back to the states uh, later this later this week, and then uh, we're full speed ahead with many exciting projects, uh, scientifically, educationally, uh, in the organization. Um, we're doing uh, many different things to to really strengthen, well, to to further strengthen ourselves for for a successful future, and and that's always super exciting. So um, yeah, lots lots of fun things to look forward to. Great. Well, safe, safe journey back uh, across the pond and good luck with everything over the next 12 months. And thank you very much for your time today, Thomas. Thank you, James. It's been a pleasure to reconnect. Uh, all the best for you and your family as well and all the listeners.